morning I'm going to be speaking on the topic of singleness, which is fantastic. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I just got called out literally just before the notice is there because my son had done a really pooey nappy that I had to go and change. Now, if that is not a good enough case to say singleness is fantastic, I don't know what is. Um, no, seriously, we, um, we're really enjoying this series. We've been looking at the Corinthian church just looking at some of the similarities, where it was, where it was situated, the cultures that were there. Um, and we've heard lots about marriage, sexual immorality, looking at um, sex lives between husband and wives within the church, a lot of things that have been going on, disunity. And um, we're actually going to take a break. I think sometimes you get, when you're going through, it's very good to systematically go through a book in the Bible. Sometimes you're taking in so much, actually, you need a rest. And so we're actually going to take a rest um, at the end of today, not from preaching. We're going to go back looking to Jesus and looking at some of the things, some of his sayings that are quite difficult to understand and grasp and to understand how to apply those to our lives. Um, So that's going to be excellent. Um, But I want us to start this this morning with a little clip from a video, uh, just to say I don't own this movie, so I've managed to get a bit of a clip and I'll bring you the quotes afterwards, which actually isn't on the clip, but this will just hopefully help you to understand some of the difficulties that can be faced in the single life. Action. Hey, Rick, how's your love life? Um, <laughs> Still going out with that publishing chap, is it? Um, no, no. Never dip your nib in the office ink. <laughs> you really ought to hurry up and get scrubbed up, you know, old girl. Right. Um, that's a great example of, well, Bridget Jones turning up to a dinner party. She is the only single person there. It's a table full of couples. Um, and just some of the, the cultural actual expectations uh, that some of our singles face. Um, and she said there's nothing, there's only one thing worse um, than a smug married couple. And that is many smug married couples. And um, I want us to look at a biblical view of what singleness is today. I want us to understand exactly what it says, because I think our society has totally misunderstood um, this topic. Um, So I'm going to go back a little bit, and I'm going to look at um, 1 Corinthians 7, verses uh, 6 through to 8, I think it is. And then we're going to look at the rest, where we've got to 25 through to the end of uh, 38. Just quite a long bit of reading, so I'll read this through. If you want to turn to your Bibles, we'll have a look at it. Um, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish, all of, I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Jumping to verse 25. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because 
of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For in this world, in its present form, it is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. Now, she can please her hus- uh, how she can please her husband. Am I saying this for your own good, not to restrict you? Sorry, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. Just going to repeat that. (laughs) He who marries the virgin does right or does well. He who does not marry her does even better. Does that shock you? This is the biblical view of singleness. It's even better than married life. That person does better than the person who marries. And um, do you know, this morning, obviously we're tackling this great issue of singleness. And I want to ask the reasons why, why are we looking at this topic? Well, firstly, obviously, it's there in 1 Corinthians 7. And we want to be honourable to the text. We want to exegetically look at it. And Paul is addressing it. So we need to address it in our culture. Secondly, well, 100% of us in this room have, for many years of our lives, been single. Certainly to at least, unless we were being unlawful, at least till we were 16, none of us were married, were we? And so we've all been in that place of singleness. And... um, Another reason would be that well over 50% of married folk here will become single again. I hope you know that. Either through death of a spouse, divorce, or abandonment. Another reason why we're looking at this topic is because, to be honest, for the last five weeks as a church, all of the singles in our church have had to cope with listening to sermons about sex and marriage and I think they deserve a little bit of time on this topic. Another reason would be coming back to that video, actually just looking how we are to relate to single people. 
we often get it very wrong. And we need to learn, actually, I think as we learn the biblical view, we can actually relate properly with single people. Another reason would be that marriage in itself is good. And the Bible holds a very high view of marriage. But actually marriage can become an idol. Okay? In the world, I think the world views marriage probably as an idol, or certainly that companionship. But actually within the church, we hold a high view of marriage. But I think what we've neglected to do is to hold that high view of singleness. Okay? And so it's really important um, that actually the pinnacle of Christian life is not marriage and kids. And within the church, we are prone to put a marriage on that pinnacle. And that is just not a biblical view. Another reason would be, as we look at the world, if we look at who God has used in his mission, we see that the world has been thoroughly changed by single people. By people who have heard God's call and they've gone on mission. People like Corrie ten Boom, David Brainerd, Amy Carmichael, St. Augustine, John Stott, and many, many, many more. Amazing men and women who actually sacrificed companionship in marriage for the sake of outworking God's call on their life to make disciples. Not to mention a few other guys that we might know with the names of Paul or, or Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you're single and if you're married, pick up some biographies and start reading these stories. Phenomenal stories. You know, if you look at David Brainerd going into different countries and reaching Indian tribes, and you just think, wow, it's absolutely phenomenal. And I think another reason we need to address it is this fact that it's so misunderstood. Okay? People look at singleness today and they view it as a burden or even a curse that you're single. And there can be this mentality of, oh, bless you. Bless you. I'm sure the right man or woman will come along soon. We can be patronizing when it comes to singleness. And actually... The Bible never portrays that. Singleness is not something to cope with. It's not a curse. It's a gift. It's one of God's gifts. And actually, we're to celebrate and strive for something even better than marriage. Singleness. Now, the New Testament just trying to understand the culture of the day there when Paul's speaking, it paints a shockingly high view of singleness when we look at that culture. In fact, I would say even in today's society, in our culture, it's still quite a shockingly high view of singleness. In Jewish culture, there was a specific view on marriage, and we'll try and understand that, but I wanted to quote a few rabbis. Okay, they have this. In Jewish culture, marriage has a massively high view. 
singleness has a very low view. And so two rabbis, just hear their quotes, one, one rabbi quoted, as soon as men take a wife, their sins will be forgiven. It's not biblical at all. But this is a renowned, respected rabbi. So the idea is if you're not married, then you're a sinner. Once you're married, that's it. You are pure, you're clean. Another rabbi said this, any man who does not have a wife is not a proper man. This is the culture being spoken by the rabbis. So you can try and understand what the Jewish culture was portraying towards singleness. And you know, we may laugh at these quotes. We may think how ridiculous, but actually, if we're totally honest, there's a stigma attached to singleness, isn't there? And there's a stigma that actually these Jewish rabbis are touching on. And they may be saying something very direct and forward, but actually, this stigma is totally attached to singleness in our society today. Tim Keller says this, he says that nearly all religions and cultures made an absolute value of the family and of the bearing of children. There was no honour without family honour, and there was no real lasting significance or legacy without leaving heirs. So we can understand just the culture behind high value of marriage, low value of singleness. The Bible actually has a high value of marriage and an even higher view of singleness. So we're just going to look at the passage. What do we find out about singleness in this passage then? Verse 7. I wish that all of you were as I am. That's what Paul says. I wish all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. Paul, we believe, was single. He may have been married. We don't know. To get to the role that he was in in Jewish culture, some say he must have been married. So, but he was certainly single in this ministry. We don't know whether he was, whether he was widowed. But he is talking here specifically about singleness. And actually this singleness is a gift from God. Secondly, verse 26 said, It is good for a man to remain as he is. Singleness is good. Verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. Singleness brings with it a freedom. All those concerns attached to marriage, to married life, you don't suffer. And Paul said he wanted to actually allow people not to experience those things. Verse 35, that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. It allows a secure, undivided devotion to the Lord. Singleness allows this. You can't have an undivided attention when you're married. Your devotion is divided. Looking after your wife or your husband, your children. Verse 38, he who marries, so then, he who marries does the virgin, the, the virgin does right, but he who does not, he does better. So we're just learning what, what are some of the key verses in this passage. 
the person who stays single does even better. Do you know, I'm sure there's been many sermons on singleness. Who hasn't heard a sermon on singleness? Okay. It's really important that we do hear them. And what I'm not here to do, I've heard some who have been in them and said, actually, as a married person, I left that sermon feeling like a second-class citizen. That's not what the Bible's trying to do. Okay? Just to, just to lay that one out for you now. But it is trying to give us... Um, a real understanding because I think actually the emphasis Paul is putting on singleness is key and so I'm not wanting you to leave here as a married person thinking oh my words what have I done <laughs> actually the Bible honours marriage and values marriage highly but here he is addressing singleness and so it's not a tension okay but it is something we need to know as married couples and as singles, a theology of singleness. So why is it then, let's ask some questions, why is it that Paul describes singleness as even better than marriage? Do you know one reason it's not? I'll start with that. Often we talk about a calling, okay? And uh, I'm obviously called to marriage or I'm called to singleness. And I just want to um, do away with that myth. Okay, in the Bible, when we look at it, there is actually no calling to singleness or to marriage. It doesn't describe it as a calling. As I've just mentioned, it's a gift. When we look at calling in the Bible, calling is used to describe our calling to salvation, our destiny in God. We're actually called to be saints. There are a few other places it calls. It calls people into different roles, like apostles, um, but the Bible describes both marriage and celibacy as gifts from God. And as I said before, it's amazing that we can get to the point of believing singleness is maybe a curse or something not very good when it's this beautiful gift from God that God has given. So let's look at a few of these reasons. Verse 28, I haven't put this up, so if you want to look at your Bibles now. But if you do, not, if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Paul is suggesting that there are many troubles that you face in marriage. I don't know what he's talking about, obviously. No, if you ask any married couples, you will find out there are troubles in married life. And Paul wants to spare people these troubles. You know, my wife has to live with me. She has to put up with mood swings and annoying habits, tantrums, not from me, some, sometimes from the kids, hopefully. And the list goes on and on and on. And so the first thing that we're seeing is Paul is saying that there are troubles attached to married life. Verse 29, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. 
Paul is trying to explain here, this is an interesting one, he's trying to explain a tension that we live in. The tension that the Messiah, Jesus, has come. He's died for all our disobedience to God. He's risen from the dead. He's ascended to be with God the Father. And yet, we're still waiting for him to come back and to make all things perfect. So we live in this kingdom that has come, but has not yet fully come. And so everybody on this planet lives with the awareness of things like mortgages and um, providing for themselves, for those who are married, for wives, for husbands, for children, for jobs. And Paul is suggesting here in this part of the passage that we are to live with these present commitments that we have almost in a way as if they do not exist. Now we have to be really careful when we're trying to explain this. What is he talking about? Living as if they do not exist. It's not a totally literal thing. It doesn't mean you can suddenly say, right, I'm leaving my wife. It's trouble. And Paul says, as if you do not have a wife. That, thankfully, is not what he's saying. Okay, we know from Ephesians 5, don't we, that Paul paints marriage as this profound mystery representing Jesus and his church. And we know that Jesus is and was totally committed to his church. And um, we have to honor that commitment of marriage. But we're to live with the knowledge that this present world that we're living in is passing away. It's passing away. So all the evil things in this world like investment banking and, and knife crime and Manchester United. and <laughs> They're momentary things that are passing away. They're not going to last. Our houses... Our cars, our marriages, our children, our parenthood. They're going to pass away for a new, perfect world that God will bring. And we're to live in the reality of this. And Paul has actually been deliberately provocative here as he speaks. Okay? Um, so you have to understand that language. But really what he's saying is, I want you to get caught up in this future hope. I want your focus and your aim to be that this kingdom is passing away. That we're not to live loving these things. Live with these things becoming huge burdens because his perfected world is coming. And these things will just go. We're to treat them like they're momentary troubles. Let's keep going. Verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the, the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Do you know, as a husband, I love my wife. Probably not like Christ loves the church. 
still working on that one. But part of my calling is to put my wife first and my kids first. And I cannot say, well, if God speaks to me and says, you're going to Abu Dhabi, I can't just suddenly say, right, love, we're going to Abu Dhabi. That's it. We're going to go off for 10 years, plant some churches. Let's go. Do you know, as I lead our marriage, I have to keep one eye on the future of what God is calling us to, of what he's speaking about. And I have to keep one eye on my wife and my family to make sure I'm caring for them, that I'm listening to my wife. And Paul's trying to bring the analogy that we can't fully focus on everything because there are things of being married we've got to focus on. And I have to keep asking God and asking for his help to keep us moving in the right direction together. This is a journey together. Okay? So it's a little bit like when I'm speaking to people on a Sunday morning and I've got kids running around the room. I can't actually give my full attention to you. I'm sorry. Because I have this little niggle going on where the kids are running around and I can see them. I'm thinking, are they heading for the door? Oh, they're heading for the door out into the car park where cars are moving. And so when God speaks, I can't react instantly. And as single people, you have a capacity unlike married people, a capacity to act, a quickness, a focus that Paul talks about. I want to just ask a, um, I don't even know if I brought this prop for this, has anyone got a scarf with them? Yes, great, thank you. Can I get a married couple up here and a single person? It's very dangerous, I haven't even looked at the health and safety behind this. Jack, I can't take you. Sorry, it's not going to work for you. Sorry. <laughs> Come on. Josh and Laura, who's going to come up who's single? Come on. Be brave. Yeah, you can. Come on, Rachel. Right. I'm going to tie your legs together. This is like a three-legged race, guys, or a four-legged race. Okay, Okay, Rachel, as I say, I haven't even thought about the health and safety concerns here. Jack, can I get you to move back slightly? So, I'm really sorry, I don't know what's happened here. No, what I want you to do, I want you to run around the chairs, okay? It's okay, you can still do this. I haven't planned this. So you're going to go around the outsides, all the way around, somehow get past that desk, but yeah, we'll see. And you can start in the same place, yeah. So you've got to run as well. So we're going to watch... Josh is very competitive. Any marks? Set? Go! <laughs> should we just should we just leave them, you know, tied up there for? 
Do you know, they actually got a really good rhythm to their, together there, really good movement, but they were absolutely thrashed, weren't they, by Rachel? And this is a little bit of how we can respond to God and his mission in single life and in married life. Okay, there's a moving together, there's finding a rhythm together, and it will slow you down. There's something that Paul's actually saying, as a single person, you will be able to run fast. You'll be able to run that race, not only with perseverance, not only with stamina, but with a real pace. I remember, you know, three years ago when God called, spoke to me as I was praying in my, front, in my back living room, and he said to me, you're going to Liverpool. And I remember working this out with my wife and family, and this was not a quick process. This wasn't, right, let's just pack up and go. I had to go to my wife and say, love, I think God's been speaking to me about Liverpool. Paul said, well, that's tough. He hasn't spoken to me. <laughs> we ain't going anywhere. And um, I said, it's okay. I believe God can speak to you as well. And in his grace, he did. He continued to speak to my wife and he brought faith in that situation. But it took, how long do you think it took? Four or five months for Tor to even get to that point of saying, yes, okay, I'm on board. Okay, and it's really important. There are men and women in history who have just actually done this where they've said, I'm going. Sorry, love. You come or you don't. And we read stories of great missionaries who were married, but they left their families behind. Marriages broke up, destroyed. It doesn't honor God. I want to say that. That does not honor God as we leave our husband or wife for the call of God. Actually, God has called you to love your wife like Christ loves the church. He's, he's called us to care and to, to walk together. Okay? Um, but as a single person, you don't have that covenant commitment that you have to weigh up when he speaks to you. You have that ability to act now. And I was just thinking about Paul. I was thinking, can you imagine if Paul was married? Can you imagine him getting home from work I love, I was shipwrecked today. I ended up on Malta, you know. Uh, yeah, I've been bitten by a snake and almost died. Or I was beaten and pummeled um, to the point of near death. I know the dinner's been lying on the table there for the last two years. But it'll be fine. God will save me anyway. That's the sort of thing. Paul was able to be single-minded for the, for the, for the gospel. Okay? He talks about being single-minded for the gospel. Because he wasn't married. Because he didn't have those commitments. He was able to do, in fact, when you look at his ministry and the amount that he did, I think a lot of that was down to the fact that he was single. The fact that he could move when God said. He could go and he could, um, he could spend three months on a missionary journey. He could spend nine months on a missionary journey. You know, when you read the stories of some of these um, amazing single people who did great things for God, you realize, when you read their biographies, it wasn't that the right person did not come along. Often, these people have had to turn down proposals. 
because the person proposing to them either didn't have faith to go where God had called them, or they knew. They knew they could not accomplish the things God had called and put on their lives if they were married. They had to choose to be single for God's mission. They weren't just going to settle. They weren't going to settle in the nice suburbia with 2.4 children. They knew God had more. We see it even today. Uh, I don't know if many of you know Baroness Cox. But she is an amazing lady who goes around the world helping the vulnerable. And uh, she was married. But actually, her singleness came when her husband died. And so for the last 20 years, she has done amazing things around the world. A singleness has come to her. And she suddenly said, Lord, I'm yours. Use me in whatever way. And actually, her, her years since her husband died, she would describe as her most fruitful years. And that is not diminishing her marriage and her life there, but what God allowed her to do in that time. But she didn't just sit there and go, oh, okay, what do I do? I'm widowed. She said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, I don't know if many of you have met Kathy. She's not here this morning. Amazing lady in our church, single, works for Open Door. She travels around the world risking her life in many countries, going to see some of the vulnerable. Amazing, amazing ministry. We have Rachel, who is fostering a child who wouldn't have been able to foster a child like that, would have had to go through the husbands, would have had to ask, are we in faith for this to do this together? But actually, there was a moment she was able to go, that's what I want to do, that's what I feel God's called me to do. Paul was committed to the gospel of God and mission. And essentially what he's saying is, as a single, you have the potential to see far greater things than the married folk amongst you. And you know, it makes me a little bit jealous. Have you thought about that? It makes me a little bit jealous. You have the potential to see more people saved into God's kingdom. The potential to see more works established more orphanage established, more disciples in Christ. And you know, I wish, honestly, as I was, when I was younger, I wish I had a better theology of singleness when I was younger. It's not that I totally wasted my singleness, but had I understood now what the Bible says about singleness, I think I, think I would have done far more things. I think I would have said, right, I'm going on mission. I'm going I'm to go on as many mission trips as I possibly can. I'm going to see how God can use me in this area. You know, it might be that you're like Mim, right? I'm going to go church plant. I'm going to go join a church plant. Do you know what I'm not trying to do? I'm not trying to belittle the hurt or the pain that can come with being single. There are those devastating times where you feel that. But I am saying that if we can see singleness like Paul does, then actually we become dangerous men and women for the gospel. 
if we can see it through his eyes of what he was trying to say here, then we become dangerous people, bringing the kingdom of God in the things that he calls us to do. I wanted to end by just touching on another dimension of singleness. And it goes by looking at God's story as an overall view, trying to understand probably a little bit of the legacy behind why marriage has a high view in Jewish custom and singleness has a low view. And if we look back um, in the Old Covenant, you know, what was it that made somebody one of God's people? Anyone? How did you become somebody as part of the nation of Israel? You were born into it. Who was that? Well done, Nick. You were born into the nation of Israel. And so, it's a great evangelistic strategy, isn't it? Actually, God gave that commission to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was the command he gave. That's why he made a covenant with Abraham, that his offspring would be more numerous than the... And obviously, this nation that was very small at that point grew and grew and grew through childbirth. And that was what was seen as the blessing of God. It was how you left your legacy it was their evangelistic strategy. Let's have as many children. No, let's have 12 children. And so there's no wonder that this was why there was such a high view placed on marriage. Because it was in the marriage that you had children. And that was how we extended God's kingdom. It's how we brought blessing and legacy to our families. So how is it that Paul is now saying in the New Testament, that singleness is even better than marriage. What's suddenly changed? It's slightly complex, this, so you're going to have to try and follow me. In a book called Isaiah, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, he was a prophet, and um, in Isaiah 53, he talks about, he prophesies many, many years before Jesus that someone would come, and he would come and he'd bring really good news for all. Because what he would do is he would die and take the punishments for everybody who has disobeyed God. Ever. And he would redeem them. And then in the next chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 54, we read some strange things. I want to read this out for you. Sing, barren woman, you who never bought a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who was a husband, says the Lord. Isaiah 54 comes right on the back of hearing how God's plan of redeeming his people is going to happen. And then Isaiah 56, we hear this about eunuchs, a name better than sons and daughters. Eunuchs obviously could not have children. So we hear these very strange things going on. We hear that there is going to be a death for the forgiveness of sins for the people. And then we hear two groups of people who essentially can't have children, a barren woman and eunuch, saying, 
that actually they are going to have more children than those who cannot. It's a little bit bizarre. And if we jump right the way through to the New Testament, we read in John 3, there's an encounter with Jesus and a rabbi called Nicodemus. And he's come to meet Jesus in the cover of darkness. And he asks him, how do people get to see or be part of God's kingdom? And Jesus says to him, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus replies, but look at the size of me. I can't put myself back into my mother's womb. I'm too big for this. And Jesus corrects him and says, no. A person comes into the kingdom of God now through being born again through the spirit of God, through new life, through supernatural conversion. And so that is why when we look at Jesus leaving, his great commission for us now is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It actually means that now we have spiritual children. We can have spiritual children without ever giving birth to children. It's why Paul was able to say in 1 Corinthians 4, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Or in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. So the old covenant was all about having babies, extending God's kingdom through childbirth. That was where the blessing came. Today, Jesus has commissioned us to go and make spiritual babies, to make disciples of all nations. And so we have a choice to make, really. Why is it that Paul is saying singleness is even better than marriage? Well, in marriage, you can have four, five, six children if you're my parents. You can even have 12. Or you can choose to be single and resolute and focused and say, actually, like many of these missionaries, they saw hundreds, if not thousands, of spiritual children through the call God had on them. Paul was just so fixated on the summit of fulfilling God's purposes in his life. And um, Andrew Wilson, the guy showed him reading out 1 Corinthians, he gives an example of something I want to share. He talks about a stag do that he was on, and um, they were climbing Snowden. And this guy has a backpack on his back, and he's a very fit guy. And Andrew says, for some reason, he was, he was right at the back. And yet he's very fit. And he was like, you know, I don't know why, I don't know why I'm ahead of the, the, the game here. And um, they climbed up Mount Snowden. And they got to the top. And he realized, it's very sweet, this guy had a bottle of champagne in his bag. And so they sat at the top of Snowden and they enjoyed this champagne together, looking out on these views. And he said this, he said, champagne's good. Marriage is good. Okay, it's enjoyable. There are really good things about marriage. But if you want to be single-minded and focused and you want to fulfill just how Paul saw it, 
and you want the fastest route up this summit, you don't put the champagne in the bag, okay? You want the fastest route up. And therefore you say, we're not going to have the marriage. I'm going to stay single. And I'm going to find the fastest route up this. I'm going to do everything God has called me to do. I'm going to enjoy and embrace the single life that God has called me to. Or not called. That I am in at this present stage. I want to say the singleness for Paul was not something to be coped with. It was not something to look at and think it's a curse. It was something to be pursued after. Discipleship has replaced parenting in the New Testament. It doesn't mean as parents, we say, right, that's it, we're not going to parent our kids. Actually, we have a responsibility, don't we, as parents, to disciple our own children, to look after their physical needs and their spiritual needs, and it's a blessing. But there's something here in being single, you can see many, many disciples. I want to end just by saying, listen, it's the single life is God's gift. And it isn't just a case of staying single. Oh, I'm single, therefore I'm living in the gift. Actually, Paul's whole emphasis on here is about what you can do with this single life. So I want to encourage you that if you're single, don't just sit back waiting for that person to come along. Don't even just sit back and think, well, this is what God's obviously called me to. Paul is saying there's a pursuing mentality. There is things he wants you to do in his kingdom because you're single. That other people cannot do. There is a focusness that you can have that others cannot because you are single. So I want to encourage you, if you're single, to run that radical life that Paul lived. That radical life that Jesus lived. That radical life that we have seen and saw in so many other missionaries. That is God's blessing and gift to you.